Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fraggle Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. Save the Children has been providing essential services and support to Palestinian children impacted by the ongoing conflict since 1953 and has had a permanent presence in the occupied Palestinian territory since 1973. In the last weeks, Save the Children's first supplies entered Gaza from Egypt, including medical kits, consumables and water. While every piece of aid reaching families in Gaza matters, the current rate of delivery is nowhere near enough. Please support Save the Children Gaza campaign at savethechildren.org and click on Emergencies link. Your donation will support Save the Children's urgent humanitarian relief efforts in Gaza. I'm especially pleased and honoured today to welcome Zongsar Yamyang Kiense Rinpoche, also known as Kiense Norbu, a revered Tibetan Bhutanese Lama filmmaker and writer, to the Sustainability Agenda podcast today. Rinpoche is responsible for the care and education of some 3,000 monks at several monastic institutions in Asia and guides hundreds of thousands of students in some 40 countries and is engaged in a growing number of creative and philanthropic projects around the world. So thank you very much, Rinpoche, for joining me today on the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I'm very much looking forward to talking to you and exploring how Buddhist thinking and and its rich metaphysics can help us understand some of the environmental and other crises we're facing today. But before we begin our discussion, maybe can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? So my name is Kensi Norbu. Well, the Tibetans have the habit of having many, many names and some names are very long. And... uh, People sometimes call me Rinpoche, Kensi Rinpoche. Rinpoche is sort of a title um, given to people who are, I don't know, as um, sometimes as an incarnation of some um, important person in the past. I happen to be recognized as uh, one of those incarnation. Um, so... Yes, among the Tibetans and Bhutanese Himalayans, they tend to call me Kensi Rinpoche. I am, I have been trained as a, a Buddhist, uh, but uh, maybe um, I was also trained to kind of um, stakeholder of Buddhism, if you like. Um, meaning um, to teach and, I don't know, to preserve and to propagate the so-called Buddha Dharma. And uh, because of that, I ended up having a few monasteries and schools that I undertake. Um, And uh, since um, um, I have had the opportunity to encounter a lot of um, other um, people beyond Himalayas. Now I have uh, also managed to uh, have, I have begun to have some, I don't know, foundations and um, uh, activities such as translation 
of the words of the Buddha and also children's school elsewhere in places like New York, Singapore. So I do um, kind of um, advise these, supposedly advise these projects. And um, I, um, as part of my, uh, I don't know, job if you like, I don't know, my responsibility, I have written few books um, introducing Buddhism, but also uh, some of the books are really uh, clarification of Buddha Dharma, Buddhism as it's interpreted today, especially uh, Tantric Buddhism, which is um, very uh, much uh, prevalent in uh, Himalaya, especially in Tibet. So, uh, yes, I have written few uh, books and uh, because uh, when I grow up, I was exposed to um, uh, the world of, uh, you know, like film. I developed a certain interest in making films. So, uh, yes, um, I have also managed to make a few films um, that are very obscure in nature and um, uh, still have the aspiration to make few more films. I don't know whether this is enough. It's kind of very complicated. That's perfect. Thank you, Rinpoche. Now, there are many different schools and approaches uh, in, in, within Buddhism. Can you say a few words about Tibetan Buddhism, Rinpoche? Okay, I'll try. <clears throat> It's a difficult uh, because uh, it is something that is so difficult to articulate even when I have so many uh, hours to uh, explain it. Anyway, um, well, uh, Buddhism is um, quite, um, you know, it, there is a, it is said that the Buddha, uh, you know, Bud Buddhism is very much... Uh, you know, truth-seeking orient oriented path or uh, discipline. And uh, it is believed that Buddha taught um, out of compassion so that people will uh, have a different skills and different methods to um, discover that truth. So I'm I'm saying this is kind of important to uh, put it out there because um, what it means is it doesn't have it is not like one single set of rule and regulations and discipline. Its aim being finding the truth. Method of how you do it differs a lot, and Buddha himself taught many 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 different ways. So if you go to places like Sri Lanka or Thailand or Myanmar, you will find um, um, discipline or teachings or tradition uh, that um, is, uh, I guess, what the common people see as uh, sort of the most um, popular or most common Buddhism. Now, uh, in Himalayas in general, and especially in Tibet, 
some parts of uh, yeah in Tibet and then some parts of Himalaya such as Bhutan. Um, Tantric Buddhism, well, we now call it Tantric Buddhism, but it is a different kind of technique, different kind of discipline, different way of uh, approaching to the truth, seeking the truth, and dis different kinds of discipline. And this uh, is uh, this has become kind of a prominent or um, um, kind of the main um, practice of Buddhism that is practiced um, in uh, Tibet. And I guess that's why now it's being referred to as Tibetan Buddhism. Actually, um, it is very much a teaching that is taught by the Buddhist masters of the past uh, coming down from um, India, um, namely like uh, Kashmir, I don't know, Orissa. Um, uh, so it's really, I, I don't know if the listeners think that maybe this is a kind of a Buddhism that's founded and um, created by Tibetan. I think that is maybe not necessarily the right information. Thank you, Rinpoche. Now, we'll talk later about how Buddhism looks at the environment and indeed our relationship with the environment. But just to set the scene a bit, uh, right now we're facing a huge growing number of environmental and indeed other crises. And I'm just wondering, what is it that worries you the most at this particular time? What, what concerns you the most? Uh, absolutely. Now, how can Buddhism help? I think many people may see Buddhism as being remote from the problems of the world. It's often associated with a kind of withdrawal from the world to find some sense of peace of mind or serenity. And I'm just wondering at a very general level, how do you think the teachings of Buddhism can help us to understand and respond to the crisis that we're facing? Immediately, right in front of me, um, I worry uh, so much about uh, what will happen? Um, I mean, I used to worry more about next generation, but it's not. We don't even have that kind of luxury anymore. I think um, we have to be more urgent. This is how I feel. Uh, we need to be really thinking about what will happen happen after ten years. Um, sometimes that really, uh, you know. Um, put me to sleepless situation. But then, you know, as a human being, we get distracted. Um, you know, there's so many other pressing situ matters. There's plans and there's a hope and then there's, I don't know, entertainment and there's a responsibility. So um, one forget. But then, you know, suddenly... Uh, you hear all these um, news about fires in Canada, water in Australia, um, I don't know, uh, tsunami in Japan. Um, I mean, uh, all that, when I hear, again, one gets uh, very, um, you know, uh, strongly reminded with this very present and a clear danger 
that uh, I don't know how we can even actually um, uh, it's, it's like quite mind-boggling how we actually be how we are able to ignore it's it's almost um, it's it's almost impossible but then we do we do ignore so that what I'm basically saying is um, our ignorance is um, really what worries me most but um, I guess that's why you know we in Buddhism we t we talk a lot about uh, you know avidya ignorance absolutely now uh, how can Buddhism help Rinpoche I think I think many people may see Buddhism as being remote from the problems of the world uh, it's often associated with a kind of withdrawal from the world to find some sense of peace of mind or serenity and I'm just wondering at a very general level how do you think the teachings of Buddhism can help us to understand and respond to the crises we're facing? You know, this is a very important question you ask. And the answer is like so many different faults. I think uh, I, I, have, um, I can understand why some people would think Buddhism is remote from all these immediate uh, and uh, obvious problems in the world. Um, I think, uh, I don't know whether you have ever heard this, um, you know, uh, some people say, you know, there are, well, you know, Buddhism, uh, unfortunately, is now in the basket of what we call religion. In the past, in the ancient India, it was really, I don't know, it's well, I guess for the listeners to understand, um, uh, easier to re refer, I guess Buddhism is seen as like a science, science of life. But it's actually much more than science, I think. Anyway, um, uh, what I was, what I want to say is like, Unlike some of the Abrahamic religion, Buddhism, along with other some of the Indian but uh, wisdom tradition, and I think as well also in China there are traditions such as Taoism, is very much, uh, you know, involved with the truth, truth of our life, truth of so-called us, me, mind, matter, I don't know, time, space, basically, what do you call it, um, these phenomena. Um, it's not never been really associated with, or it's really, it's almost deliberately staying away from state matters, political matters, and you know it you know the emergence of buddhism is motivated by seeking the uh, through uh, this motivation of seeking the truth i'm telling you this because i think it has something to do with this that fundamentally uh, it's like um, you know the main motivation is to decipher the truth so it has 
as a lot of people would uh, think that um, Buddhism is now get you know very far and remote from you know, the real problem um, because it's almost like it's a deliberate almost like you you trying to stay away from this you know I mean the Buddha Shakyamuni he left palace you know seeking the truth so maybe there's something to do with that <clears throat> uh, but having said that if people could come around and really look into the Buddhist thinking and the Buddhist uh, interest or Buddhist, uh, I don't know, way of looking at life. If people could sort of um, pay some attention, the Buddhist uh, value such as understanding things as a dependent, interdependent, and therefore needing to really safeguard ourselves from going so extreme, whether it's morally, whether it's, uh, I don't know, um, uh, all, you know, like going, you know, like not to fall into an extreme is a, such an important value for Buddhism. And I think that that value more than ever um, is more than ever now, you know, it is uh, important. But these things, you know, um, I don't know, these things are so dry, I guess, for a lot of people. And um, um, I think, um, plus the culture, if you like, even though I always say that a lot of the times, culture of different uh, geography uh, where Buddhism traveled, such as Buddhism traveled from India to China, to Japan, to Korea, to Thailand, to Tibet. So culture of these um, Buddhist uh, countries, as much as the culture has uh, served as a, uh, as a vessel, as a, as a container purpose, it has also hijacked the Buddhist uh, wisdom. This happened. This seems to happen a lot. It has a both. Uh, it has a both. I think it has both sides, positive and negative. Uh, anyway, um, culturally, I can understand if people see Buddhism is always kind of secluded, meditation, sitting monastic situation, retreat, I don't know, hermitage life, renunciation life. So I guess all these uh, nuances, all this culture makes people think Buddhism is uninterested. Buddhists should go out there, really be active, engage. You know, uh, although that is happening in some parts and, uh, you know, but I have to say, the Buddhists have never been quite good with this. I mean, forget uh, other issues such as environment or political world. Buddhists have not been good at propagating and uh, preserving the Buddhist wisdom tradition itself. Um, I mean, if you look deeper, Buddhists have never been good at preparing 
Buddhist wisdom tradition schools for kids. Buddhists have never really been, um, even though, you know, there's a lot of wisdom, there's a lot of things to offer. And this do personally make me sometimes feel very frustrated because uh, now more than ever, you know, the world has become so small, interconnected, email, you know, uh, internet and all of that. So uh, we should, I, I think, and, if, and definitely, um, as I said, the, the wisdom of interdependence, wisdom of empathy, for instance, one of the, I think this is something that Buddhists are not talking enough. Empathy probably is, probably is one of the most important, more important than democracy, more important than the human right, more important than any of these. If people begin to put their own feet in someone else's shoes, then I think people will at least see a different, you know, view of the world. So even for the environment, I think many times the reason why we are drastically, you know, destroying our, you know, environment and, environment and all of this, because we just are totally lacking with the empathy, empathy with the future generations, empathy with, uh, I don't know, uh, someone else, uh, uh, other people. I was just thinking, um, like, um, uh, like I was just actually talking with some people here, like, um, you know, in Japan, if you, if you go to Japan, you know, Japanese toilets, when you go to, you know, big toilet in Japan, you know, J Japan has this amazing toilet where you press a button and then the water comes and I'm not talking about the flushing, by the way, all the other activities, okay, drying and all of that. Now think about it. There's a one billion Chinese, one billion Indians. If they know this, they will also end up having aspirations to have that kind of toilet system. Now imagine if that happens, two billion Japanese kind of toilet in the world, finished, the earth will be finished. But, um, you know, many times people who live in, in a society like a Japanese society or affluent society, we don't have, have that kind of empathy. Uh, I'm not only talking about the empathy uh, individually, but empathy of time, empathy of different society, different social status. Um, so, if, if, I mean, if you, there is, there is like so many. And then, of course, the shunyata, the non-duality, the value of the non-duality, the wisdom of the non-duality. I think this is a key answer to, you know, uh, saving the environment. Now, there, there are many ways to look at the roots of our environmental problems, but one key factor is certainly our activity as consumers. We all buy lots of things to satisfy our needs, our desires, to make ourselves happy. But from a Buddhist perspective, the, the, this idea of a self, a separate enduring self is seen as a delusion 
So from that perspective, this effort to uh, constantly fulfill the needs of this illusory self is ultimately fruitless. Yes. Yes, this illusion of a continuous, permanent, important, you know, uh, notion, uh, important, I don't know, narcissist um, uh, idea of self, uh, which is, I don't know, I would say probably this is where Buddhism is so important. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, who is destroying the world? It is the self. And what is this self? It is not just a gender. It's not just a... It is... A, it's, a, it's something that um, is... Uh, well, the Buddhist would... Uh, I guess maybe for a lot of people it is a controversy. But for Buddhists... It is an illusion. So just very uh, awakening to this notion that you are trying to pamper an illusory idea of self and risking the earth, risking the environment and risking the health and the situation of the future, future generation just to protect this, you know notion of self which we have never really come to a right conclusion or a solid conclusion that alone should if we could teach that to kids if we could make the kids understand at least if it has reached to a point where they can see sort of unimportant or uh, that it is it is uh, it's i mean if even if they don't understand it's an illusory notion, um, at least if they can understand it's um, unimportant, it's not, not the only important aspect, I think I personally think it would really help the way we sort of uh, develop our, I don't know, um, way of life, you know, like uh, insurance, safetyism, I mean, uh, what do they call it? Coddling, right? Coddling, just like pampering and uh, basically, um, I mean, it's getting so crazy now. Um, you, you cannot say anything that is, uh, um, uh, that is safe. Uh, you could get, you could hurt someone or someone could hurt you. Uh, like just so much focus on this center uh, i mean foc uh, focus to this one central uh, station which is the self very interesting now now you mentioned interdependence which is a central idea in buddhist thinking something that we are maybe in the west becoming more aware of recently following covid to some degree but can you talk about interdependence and how it can help us understand the environmental crisis we are facing okay i will try this is a very <clears throat> difficult uh, subject in many ways but at, and in the same time something is actually not that difficult also it's just a matter of getting used to a certain nuances or a culture or a 
language. Um, I think it's kind of related to what we just uh, talked earlier. Um, there's this habit that there's this self, me, that independently exists, which if people can sort of sit down and contemplate is a really a false ground. It just, you know, you know, it just doesn't exist independently. It cannot, it doesn't know how to exist independently. It, it, um, 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 but there is that strong habit anyway. So that uh, need to be realized. But this is probably um, uh, much more difficult for, uh, you know, uh, our, you know, you can speak this intellectually, academically, probably it can make some sense. But in our day-to-day -day practical life, maybe this doesn't really come through. Um, then I think what we need to make uh, people learn is that, um, you know, uh, okay, there's this notion that we can fix things, we can um, get, you know, we can uh, sort out things, we can um, solve problems, we can, um, you know, we have sort of this fix, fixing sort of habit, uh, we can progress, we can, uh, I don't know, we can um, advance, technology, political system, I don't know, uh, scientific, we can, you know, so all the, we, 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 we have that kind of a mindset. If you contemplate a little bit, this has been proven quite uh, not true, right? You know, um, you could um, prepare and have aspiration. You can send your children to school, the best school. You can, uh, I don't know, get the best degrees. You can get the best job. You can be in the so-called most ideal situation. But things still doesn't work. Things still is never satisfactory. What uh, the Buddhists would call it dukkha. Well, not necessarily suffering, but it's not really a 100% satisfaction. So why is, it why is it like that? Because things are interdependent. Things are dependent on so many things. Yes, going to a good school, getting a good job, getting, uh, having a, I don't know, right environment, right uh, friends and... Um, I don't know, a partner may, you know, help some parts of this, but they will bring their own sh amount, share or angle of uh, problems, if you like, or uh, challenges. So just this aspect of understanding the interdependent 
would really make us. So basically what I'm saying is, okay, for instance, like, um, like shopping, why we have to, I mean, why do, okay, of course we can never stop shopping, but why do we have to shop as if we are going to live forever? You know, but that's how we do. Uh, we are supposedly very well, uh, you know, now at this age we have, we are supposedly, we have been educated and we are well informed and there's all sorts of information. Why can't we budget our, let's say we are going to live 150 years, that's being very generous. Now, if you are going to live 150 years on this earth, how much do you need? And if you know how to budget this, probably you will have a really, really blissful and happy and content life. Uh, so stuff like that. So I think understanding the interdependent nature of all phenomena has a so much um, reward like this. But you know, sadly, uh, our thinking is the opposite. Our education system is the opposite. We are made to believe that we are independent, independent, individualism, uh, I don't know, like uh, self, I don't know, right, and all these are very cherished and very, very protected. You don't want to even question these because if you question these things you get you get really um, get uh, stigmatized for being you know like fascist or whatever right now when it comes to climate change and carbon emissions quite often there's an emphasis now in terms of buying a little less focusing on more ecological projects now, when it comes to climate change and carbon emissions, quite often there's an emphasis now in terms of individuals buying a little less or buying more ecological products. Now, now, when it comes to climate change and carbon emissions, quite often there's an emphasis now in terms of buying a little less, buying more ecological products, an electric car, uh, recycling a bit more and doing things like that. I mean, I, for instance, do I do anything to protect the environment from within my capacity, I try, you know, like I try to introduce monasteries, my own monasteries to really not use plastic, so on and so forth. Um, sometimes it's so overwhelming when you are looking at the rest of the world, they do so many, I mean, uh, uh, like massive destructions in the name of freedom, in the name of democracy, in the name of, I don't know, uh, uh, free market, so on and so forth. So facing this sometimes feel very discouraged. But this is another thing. In Buddhism, we say that most important is your motivation. Um, world is driven by cause and conditions and of all the cause and condition your motivation is the most important and most powerful motivation so this is why practically speaking i think 
it is very, I mean, it is like driving electronic car, I don't know, flying less or fl not at all flying, carbon footprint, all of that. It's a, it's, it's, it's a motivation. And uh, I guess it may encourage others, it may remind others, it may go down in the history that people do this so that people can refer to that kind of activities. Um, but uh, I guess uh, what we do to help protect the earth versus what we do destroying the earth, I think big gap, isn't it? So sometimes it's very discouraging. But uh, I guess this is where we will have to have this warrior kind of attitude, no matter what. We don't give up. So, so from what you're saying, in many ways, expecting us to stop consuming, to profoundly change, may, may not be realistic, at least within the kind of time frames where we need to take action. Besides individuals, what role do you see for politics? I mean, okay, you know, this will this will really you know not probably not go well with a lot of uh, listeners out there among the tibetans or i don't know liberals or whatever but i will say this anyway because i have actually you know i have recently uh, wrote a letter not recent maybe about a year ago a letter to greta thunberg um you know, I, I you know writing to her is just you know it's just a metaphor for me. You know, I basically I'm writing to myself and writing to everyone. Okay, so I'm not a scientist, as as as, a, as we spoke before our conversation here. I'm not a scientist. I you know I but uh, I do uh, respect the scientists. I think many of the things that they mm, say is uh, quite good. So many scientists seem to say that the world is really declining environmentally, all of that. And it looks like it's like that. For instance, like just my home country, Bhutan alone. I mean, there are like floods and there's a fires. And then, I mean, the winter is almost so, the place where it used to be cold is no more cold, place that used to be hot, uh, not more hot. I don't know, I could see it within my own lifetime. So, you know, it has to be true. And um, people all seem to be saying, that, well, environmental disaster is the mother of all these disasters. Well, it has, you know, I mean, of course. I mean, you cannot deny that. So, um, if that is the case, then I was just sort of, maybe I was stirring up my friends, my liberal friends, my, you know, because this is sometimes, you know, I like doing, but uh, I was suggesting her and many other environmentalists, I think our only suggest, our only option is asking people like Xi Jinping in China to really take out this matter of saving the environment because i feel that the guy can do it doesn't mean that he's a good guy doesn't mean that he's compassionate and all of that i mean we, you know we don't have to go through this kind of you know idealism someone who can deliver the job 
And what we need right now, according to the scientists and according to a lot of people, there's an actual you know, problem with the environment. If that is the case, then why don't we ask somebody who can actually deliver the job? Because I don't see the rest of the so-called leaders, I don't know, institutes or societies can do this because we are so, you know, busy. We are get we get uh, what do you call it uh, pushed and pulled by lobbies, uh, different interests, different vested interests, all of that. Now, in Western religion, man is often seen as having dominion over the earth. Buddhists seem to have a different approach to this question, the relationship between man and nature. Can, can you talk about this, Rinpoche? When was it? It was only recently, right? Uh, I think it was in New Zealand or somewhere. I'm, my, my, my memory is very blurred. Only recently, about a few years ago, in New Zealand, the scientists have finally come to a conclusion that uh, beings like fish are sentient beings. That is quite fascinating for me because, you know, yes, as you put it rightly, Buddhists, not just Buddhists, I think many of the Indian wisdom tradition, um, human beings are not necessarily the center stage. When we talk about beings, we are talking about all kinds of beings, so many different kinds of beings. I mean, to... to um, uh, to ease the, for the easy understanding, we categorize the, uh, we categorize the realm of beings into six categories. Did you understand that? Hello? Yeah. I'm sorry, I sort of, my internet dropped a bit. Yes, six and many, many. Six is just a, you know, just a very generalization. So many, many more. Um, so sometimes I get asked these questions like, do I believe in alien? Uh, Buddhist, I mean, alien is a very, very old term for Buddhists. Hello? Yes, I mean, it is it's an old phenomenon. It's nothing new. It existed. I mean, not necessarily in the context of, uh, you know, like um, uh, science fiction film, but um, it, the idea is very much there. And in some schools of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, for example, the earth is seen as sacred, as the abode of deities or manifestations of the sacred. Now, this suggests a rather different way of looking, not just at nature, but the environmental problems we are facing. No, this is a very good that you ask. I kind of, it sort of um, escaped from my head earlier. I was wanting to mention this. See, so in Buddhism, uh, we have the view of interdependence. That really opens the option completely. So, um, <clears throat> way we look at, now what does that mean, interdependence? 
that could mean a lot of things. That could just mean uh, as simple as things like, oh, you know, without the right, there's no left. Without the left, there's no right. You know, things like this. That's a very simply, simple way of putting it. Um, without good, there's no bad. Interdependent. Everything's interdependent. Okay, so that's one way. Another much more rich and much more nuanced way of understanding uh, some Buddhist, especially from the tantric point of view, is like, what is water? Water for you and me, like you and me, because you and I are human beings, and because we have been told that water is water, something to drink, something to wash with, I don't know, something to swim with, I don't know. But, but uh, for fish, water is something else. Um, it's not what we human beings think water is not, you know, our perception should not uh, be imposed on fish. They have their view. They have their, and based on their view, they interact. Now then, actually, we talk quite, a, quite uh, what you call it, deep and vast uh, regarding this. Uh, what do the other, you know, uh, beings see this water? They have uh, different views about this water. Now, how do a tantrika, a Buddhist practitioner, should look at the water? If you are a genuine tantrika, you look at the uh, you look at the water as a uh, what the tantrika would call it dakini, which is like a deity. So yes, I know a lot of the listeners will think, oh, deity, god, goddesses, some figure, but actually it's not, right? The Buddhist idea of deity is totally different. Now this is, I think, so important. I was listening to um, a lecture given by somebody, educate uh, somebody who was educating. Like they were saying, like, like in Peru. Um, uh, kids are being, uh, you know, um, like somewhere in South America, uh, kids will be uh, told to look at a mountain and uh, kids are told to look at this mountain as the mother, mother nature, mother mountain, whatever, you know, very sp super spiritual. Whereas in Somewhere in Colorado, maybe the kids are pointed uh, at a mountain and say, this is where the, I don't know, mine, you know, like, I don't know, diamond, or, I don't know, rocks or whatever, mine. So you see, you grow, if you have, if you look at the same mountain with a different attitude, one as the mother, one as, a, I don't know, mine, real estate, I don't know, um, property, you know, that's, that's the kind of, uh, you know, your actions, your motivations, the way you relate to the world definitely will uh, have a different influence.
Now, that's very interesting. Now, I've spoken to a number of people on this podcast who promote an idea of financializing the environment, putting a price on trees and fields and seeing things through a very financialized lens with markets and natural assets and that kind of thing, which uh, personally, I'm not sure is that helpful and continues these, these proliferation of these ideas of markets and, 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 and finance and so forth. But, but maybe just finally, you mentioned the educational work you do. Can you briefly tell us about this work and how many listeners? And, and maybe just finally, you mentioned the educational work you do. Can, can you briefly tell us about this work and maybe how listeners might be able to contribute or support this work? Uh, younger people have clearly such an important role to play and will be living in this changing world. Yes, I think... Um, um, we need to really, I don't know, education is very dangerous, I realize. It's a very inconvenient thing. I don't know, should be, it's, um, I think it's really destroying, the whole education is destroying the intuition of a human being. You know, um, we, we, we bombard these kids with set of rules and uh, methodology to look at the world and we make their lens, their views so narrow and one-sided and, um, and I think we end up uh, bringing up these kids to become a slave uh, of a certain uh, values that are created by outdated uh, educationist so we definitely need to uh, I think re revisit the ancient wisdom um, I think uh, you know for me some of these um, South American uh, way of interacting with uh, mother nature the earth to me so like um, uh, I don't know, it's so fascinating and so uh, moving. And I think maybe that we need to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, to finish off on an inspiring note, the possibilities of education. But thank you so much, Rinpoche, for your time today and sharing your thoughts and insights into the Buddha Dharma and the environment. And... Oh, you are very welcome. Uh, as I said, I'm really not um, expert in this, but uh, I was very um, motivated to talk because it's about environment. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.